Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of My Naked Mindset. I'm your host, Janae Ledger. This is episode number 101. I hope you are enjoying the last couple episodes. They have been so much fun and I honestly loved doing episode number 100 solo. I think I needed a solo. I haven't done a solo in a while. So if you think of other things that you'd like to just have me talk about, definitely let me know, message me, DM me, email me, all of the things, any of the things. Let's connect. Uh, if this is your first pod that you're listening to, or episode, I should say, welcome. This podcast is all about destigmatizing taboo topics and just normalizing things that people don't normally talk about and today is definitely going to be one of those. This might be a little heavier subject for some so definitely listener discretion advised. All right everyone so we have a very special guest today. She is the best-selling author, speaker, consultant, and film producer who is dedicated to improving outcomes and ending preterm birth by adding a trauma-informed neurobiological lens to prenatal care. On a mission to end the high-risk pregnancy crisis, she has served and supported thousands of pregnant people through her live events, one-on-one work, and best-selling book, Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy. Everyone, please welcome Parajat to the podcast. All right. So I would love to just kind of start out by introducing yourself a little bit to my audience. Sure. I am Parijat Deshpande, and I'm so excited to be here. Um, thank you for having me on your show. Um, gosh, what can I tell you about me? I, I'm i an author, I'm a speaker, uh, I'm a consultant, um, and I'm a film producer and intentionally, basically, on that, all that happens under the umbrella of I'm here to help people know that there is a way to improve high-risk pregnancy outcomes and to end prematurity. And I do this work entirely because of my personal experience. I mean, I genuinely, I say this all the time, and I genuinely mean it. I would not have known to do the work that I do had I not lived it myself. So anything that I share truly comes from that personal lived experience in addition to the professional expertise that I'm happy to share whatever I can about. Well, that is so admirable. And I think, you know, as we go through life and kind of experience new things, like you were saying, it's, it's one thing to talk about something, but when you experience it yourself, and then you're able to use that experience and the knowledge and, and just experiencing all these different things that people, you know, maybe are not aware of. And, and be able to educate folks, I think it's just so, so important. So kudos to you for uh, just kind of bringing this to light and and having this be a topic of discussion, because I think it's so, so important. And and talking about the, the woman bodies and just like all the things that our bodies go through. And I think, you know, we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. But uh, I would love to ask you, what are you most excited about that's coming up in your life? Ooh, um, a couple of things. So we recently moved, we made a big move. So settling into our new home is something I'm excited about. And then professionally, I am, I made my producerial debut in a film that should hopefully the short film should be out in a few months. And I'm very excited for that to be out in the world as well. Wow, that is so, so cool. Now, tell me a little bit more about how you kind of got into producing and kind of that world <laughs> it's quite the story it'll it'll touch on everything that I've done up until this point because it's all connected okay. um it, I think the the short of it is and I'm happy to expand on any part of it but the short of it is in doing a lot of introspection and uh, self-reflection I recognize that I've always been a storyteller and mm-hmm. one of the things that is also really important to me is addressing and talking about high-risk pregnancies and complicated family building journeys in an accurate and empowering way. I think there's a lot of information out there that is designed to scare us. And I think there's a lot of information or even pictures and videos and movies and things that are completely inaccurate. Like my preemie baby did not look like just a small full-term baby. (laughs) That's just not a thing. Um, So 
I really, when I, when I dove deep internally and figured that out, that, oh, these are two things that are of deep value to me. It all kind of unraveled through conversations with friends and colleagues. And turns out that um, I really enjoy producing films. Uh, not something I ever thought I would say or do. And it, there was definitely some nail biting of what am I doing? But, you know, the truth of the matter is I've been able to work with a lot of private clients who have experienced tremendous success in their subsequent pregnancies. And so that's why I wrote Pregnancy Brain, because I wanted that information to be out there more available to more people. And when that was well received, my thought was just, how do we reach more people earlier on? How do we make the concept of a high-risk pregnancy, prematurity, loss, how do we talk about it? Not in this scary, terrible, something horrible is going to happen to you way, but let's just plant the seed before we need to know about it. How do we do that? And that's all that kind of came together in one giant soup and pointed me in the direction of give this a try. And then I have a wonderful friend of mine who created this film that invited me onto her team and said, let's let's have you join and, and have your debut with our short film. And it's just been absolutely wonderful the whole way through. Oh, that is so inspiring. And it's, it's so cool when we can kind of take something that you're like, kind of maybe out of your comfort zone and something so new to you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I actually am really, really enjoying that. Yeah. So I absolutely love that story. That is so inspiring. Um, now you said you wrote your book and I would love, I actually, it's always been my dream and my goal to write a book. So I want to know a little bit more about that journey and kind of, did you, was it a long process? Was it short? Like, what did it look like for you? Gosh, it was it was long and short, <laughs> to be honest, because I'll tell you this. I remember the moment that seed was planted for me. I was in the NICU. My son was still there. We were like halfway through. So we had quite some time still. And there was a nurse in the NICU. I can still picture exactly what she looked like with her red hair. She was about my height, which is short, which always stands out to me because I'm like, oh, great. We can see eye to eye. I'm not looking up at you into the sky. And uh, I was sitting there, I was holding my son. It was a really sunny day. The, the sun was just shining through those giant windows. She turns to me and she goes, you should write a book. And I'm like, you've lost it. <laughs> Do I look like an author to you? I have nothing to say. I am not an author. And, the, and years later, I wrote that book. Um, so that seed was planted. So in, in, in a way, it was a long process because I had to get myself to a place where I was willing and able to see myself as an author and willing and able to give myself the permission to say, maybe I do have something to say. Maybe I do have enough to fill up a book because that was my biggest concern is I think I'll be done in three pages. <laughs> I don't think I could fill up an entire book. But once I started working with my private clients, and I started seeing the results that they were having, that it wasn't just me who was able to uh, help myself stay pregnant in the worst of circumstances, but that they were able to also, and then we could actually start preventing some of those things from happening. That's what kind of gave me the courage. So I, I give a lot of credit to my clients of giving me the courage to say, okay, maybe I can do this. And so once I sat down to write it, it was very quick. I think from sitting down on the first day to actual publication was about eight months okay wow that's super impressive now did you because I, I i've had many authors on this podcast believe it or not and i always love to hear like the journey because everyone's is so different like some people are like oh it took me three years to write this book and then there's other people you know like you like you know the whole process eight months um, now, did you hand write or did you type? Because that's always something that intrigues me about book writing. Or writing I typed it. Okay. I typed it. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. Well, amazing that you kind of wrote a book. And I, I, like I said, I've interviewed so many authors and I always find it so fascinating just like hearing the entire progress. Um, so kind of going through, you know, your journey with having your children. Um, I would love to kind of break that down a little more and kind of just, you know, share, share your story and maybe, uh, you know, kind of where it all began and kind of how you went through 
your whole process of becoming a mother and and all the struggles that you went through. Sure. So this podcast is like a week long, right? Because we've got a lot to cover. (laughs) Yes. No, the floor is open to you. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'll go as fast as I can. Um, The highlights are actually that I had always wanted to be an OBGYN since I was eight years old. I have a memory of being eight and wanting to be an OBGYN specifically because my best friend's father is an OBGYN. I thought his job was just so cool. Um, fast forward to college and turns out that chemistry and I have no business being in a relationship together. So I took a detour into first developmental psychology and then clinical psychology. And so in developmental psychology, I was very interested in the very young ages. It was, oh my goodness, some of my most favorite memories of working in labs in infant development, just learning about the social, emotional, motor development that happens together and how that, how that, um, happens for, uh, brand new humans, basically. Mm-hmm. And then what happens when when that doesn't go the way that we expect it to and all that it was so fascinating. And uh, as always, there's some mentor that comes into your life, right, and goes, mm, I think you belong in clinical psychology. And I went, nope, I don't think so. Thousand percent sure I don't. <laughs> and yet the conversations kept happening over, you know, the last couple years of college. And Finally, I said, all right, what the heck? Let's give it a try. I'll apply to some developmental programs for graduate school and some clinical programs. And lo and behold, I only got into the clinical programs. (laughs) And so my life kind of, my career went through clinical psychology, started building out my career, teaching. uh, I really loved teaching. So I was teaching undergraduates once I was done. um, And actually even through graduate school, just looking for every opportunity to do that. And so I was building it out and things were kind of going fine. And then um, we just, I got married. We decided that we wanted to have children. We knew that we would have trouble conceiving. We were one of those couples that it was not a surprise. We knew because of some health issues I have, that was going to be some struggle. But we thought, okay, what did that really mean? Maybe it'll take six months instead of immediately, right? That's kind of what we were thinking. And what we didn't realize is that I would experience um, my very first, with my first pregnancy was a ruptured ectopic and we had no idea that something like that could happen. A ruptured ectopic, for anybody who's listening that isn't aware, is when the embryo implants outside of the uterus. Sometimes it's in the fallopian tube, sometimes it's in the ovary, sometimes it's somewhere else in the pelvic cavity, and it's dangerous. Um, so much so that I remember my doctor at the time saying, if you ever want to be seen in the ER immediately, tell them you have an ectopic pregnancy, they won't blink twice and they will take you back. And so that was the first time we had experienced that, oh, this could be life-threatening. This is not just, oh, it's going to take a while. Um, So having gone through fertility treatments, then having gone through this surgery, then recovering from that, we had a whole new perspective by the time we began IVF. And my first round of IVF, I got pregnant right away, but I experienced multiple complications, ended up with eight complications over the course of the entire pregnancy and the entire pregnancy was only 24 weeks and five days Uh, so in a very short amount of time things started snowballing and it was at 22 weeks and four days when I landed in the hospital it was three centimeters dilated my whole team who I'd basically been living with by this point they knew me very well I knew them very well they were in tears on our behalf because they saw how much I had been through already And they were preparing us to say, with everything that's gone wrong, we don't think you're going to make it through the weekend. And so we really need you to prepare that you're going to lose your baby and there's nothing more we can do. And I said, okay, I will consent to all medical interventions, whatever you've got, and alternative interventions and like whatever. Give me all of it. I just want to try. And can I try one thing? Which I recognized is that when my body was tensed up, my preterm contractions went up and you could see it on the monitor. And when I was able to release my body, they stopped. And this is without any change to medication. So I said, can I try? And they were so lovely about it, but you could tell they were like, we don't think this is gonna work, but sure, who are we to say no to somebody who's probably gonna lose their child in two days? So they said, sure, go ahead, do whatever you need to do. And, And I tried. And I was really focused on, and I hadn't made this connection until just now, actually, that I must have had some 
I was remembering some things from my infant development days with the connection between the motor development. I literally just now in real time made that connection. And I was able to adjust my body in a way to actually slow down those contractions. Every time you could see it on the monitors, everybody was watching it and the medication behind the scenes was constant the entire time, nothing changed. They gave us 72 hours and I stayed pregnant for 15 days. And I knew, I knew if that is possible for me, somebody who was just a regular old person on the street walking around, anybody can do this, but nobody's teaching this. Nobody's talking about it. And that's when I knew it was two days before he was born. I made a commitment to both of us that if we both survive this, because I knew we had a long road still in the NICU, if we both survive this, I was going to quit my entire career and I was going to come back and teach people how to have healthy high-risk pregnancies. And that's kind of how we are here today. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm just blown away by the story. And I think, and I think that this might be like a cliche thing to say, but I think that, I mean, yes, medical professionals are incredible at what they do, but I really think that we know our bodies so well. And sometimes we might overlook that, or we might think, oh, well, you know, they've studied this for X amount of years, like they know better, but it's like, sometimes at the end of the day, it's like, we know our bodies and that's so so incredible and i'm i mean that story is it's it's just so inspiring because it's like you kind of just took it took it took the reins and you were like you know what i'm gonna like i'm gonna try this and and that's just that's so powerful within it within its own self is just like you know what i'm gonna trust myself trust my gut and and wow that's 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 incredible So, so kind of after that happened, what, what happened kind of after that? Well, then we spent several months in the NICU because he was born extremely preterm 24 and five is still not a gestational age. I wish on anyone. Uh, And yet Mm -hmm. it is better than 22 and four. So, you know, we had a long road ahead of us in the NICU. We were actually very lucky in given how early he was and how relatively smoothly his NICU stay went. There was lots of ups and downs. I think truly my personal trauma tr- came more from the NICU than it did from the preterm birth, to be quite honest. It was a very difficult time. And then after that, he and I were on lockdown for two and a half years because he could not get sick. Any mm-hmm. tiny cold would have sent him right back to the hospital. So, you know, life was kind of on pause. We were in this strange kind of, I imagine it like walking through gel almost. Like you can see through it, but you're walking slowly and you can kind of participate, but you really can't in the world. And and that was a really challenging couple of years. And around two and a half years after he was born, we got the all clear. It was a summertime, so it wasn't cold and flu season. It wasn't RSV season. And all the specialists said, let's give it a try. Let's see how he does. So we I remember taking him to a grocery store for the first time and to Target. And I'm just sobbing like, oh, my gosh, I finally get to do this. And he's just blown away by I still remember him sitting in the cart looking at there are so many apples, <laughs> just everywhere apples. And so we that's kind of when we started some semblance of a normal life and you know by then we had talked to medical professionals going so what was that that is not the kind of pregnancy we had ever been told was possible i understand one or two complications that was not that what what happened and we we didn't get great answers um i spoke with probably a total of 10 different providers from fertility specialists through OBs and MFMs, maternal fetal medicine specialists who specialize in high risk pregnancies and just like help me understand what happened and what would be the plan going forward. And I just didn't get enough answers uh, that I, yeah, I think what happened. So truth I think there's two things that happened one is there were so many things that went wrong that it was kind of chicken and egg of which one came first to result in the next complication kind of a thing so that was extra complex Um, and my presentation of some of the symptoms was not the quote-unquote usual and so being it out of the box you know we often run into providers not knowing what to do with that because it's not quote-unquote the norm 
And I think the second piece, I genuinely believe this, is that nobody was talking about the neurobiological piece, which is what I was familiar with that I had tapped into (laughs) in those last 15 days. And had we looked at that through that thread, we might have found some answers from that perspective. But regardless of that, I knew that I was working with a team who I would hire again immediately. They were all wonderful. They, they were just absolutely the best. But they weren't giving me answers that were making me confident about another pregnancy being anything other than extremely bumpy and mm-hmm. difficult. And now I had a toddler at home which would be very different. And so after a lot of conversations, a lot of thinking, a lot of soul searching, we decided to grow our family with a gestational carrier for our future children. And that was a whole process in and of itself um, that came with a lot of ups and downs, a lot of grief, a lot of loss again. And um, I call my children my bookend babies because my son was our very first embryo that we transferred. And my daughter was our very last one that we transferred. And we lost all the other ones in between. But the t- those two just kind of, I don't know what it was, but they they made it. So that's how we have our family now. Oh, my God. That's so, uh, that just like really got my, you, you just pulled on my heartstrings a little bit. Oh, wow. Well, that's incredible that you have your beautiful family now and, through all of the struggles, you know, you, you're here and your beautiful children are here too. And I think that that's, I mean, I think with our, with our journeys, it's like, you look back and you're like, wow. And I'm sure you think like, wow, I really got through all of that. Now, when you, I guess my question would be like, when you look back on all of that, what, what is your like first reaction to all of the things that you've been through? I think it's still disbelief. Mm. Like I, if I take certain chapters at a time, that I can believe. But if I put it all together and say one person, one couple endured all of that in a lifetime, in le- I mean less than less than ten years, right. what, <laughs> what? That I still find it very difficult to believe that that it all, all of it happened Mm. at one time. Now, did, I know that this is very off topic, but do you think that it brought you and your partner, like, just so much closer together when you guys have been through all of this? Totally. 100%. Yes, it did. Absolutely, it did. Through all of it. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. And I know this is kind of reminding me of one of my very best friends, um, she has three children, but she has been through infertility and miscarriages and so, so oh, many wow. different situations that they were just like, like, it was a battle. It really was. And um, she actually came on my podcast and kind of told her story and it was so, so powerful. And I think so many people can, you know, whether they have been through it themselves, they've known someone that has close to them. Um, I think everyone can really just like feel that the intensity of these situations. And it's like, I mean, I'm not saying I have ever been through this, but even just like hearing, hearing their stories and um, what do you like, I guess in a, in a situation of, you know, a couple is going through, whether it be IVF or miscarriages or whatever the situation is, what, what are like a couple tips to, you know, kind of keep on track and and kind of keeping your mental health because that's kind of what this podcast is all about, just like destigmatizing stuff um, and keeping our mental health on, like always on the forefront of everything. What would you, like, what's your top tips for like, a you know, couples going through all of this and really trying to continue to move forward, but kind of understanding, you know, what they're going through? Yeah, I think I would say... I have a few, but I guess if I had to pick two, I would say one is know that you always have a choice. And I know, I know that sometimes those choices are awful choices that you do not want to pick from. I totally get that. And don't give up your agency for choice because you still have it. And you can grieve 
the loss of choices you wanted? Absolutely. You can spend as much time, as much energy as you need to truly honor that loss because it's a real loss. And wherever you find yourself right now, you have a choice. And that could be anything from what fertility treatment to try next? What version of that fertility treatment? What doctor do you want to work with? Do I want to pause for a month or two? Do I want to stop? We don't talk enough Mm. about that. But at some point, every couple that goes through fertility treatment has to choose when to stop. And we'd like to believe that that's when we feel our family is complete, but that's not always the case. And that's something we need to grieve, of course, and to also remind ourselves that we also do get to choose, no matter how awful it may feel, let it be your choice to say, I'm done, I'm pausing, I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward this way, whatever that may be. Take that choice and own that. And I would say the second thing is kind of what we talked about earlier, trust your body. If you're not getting enough answers or not adequate enough answers, or you're like, this is like 80% of the way there, but I think there might be something else, trust that and go looking for it. There are professionals like me who are outside the box for a reason, because people like me, I know, live outside the box. (laughs) And so you know what that's like. I work, every client I've worked with, they'll always start with, you know when they say 1% of people who take this medication have the side effect? Well, I'm 1%. I'm like, me too. I get it. So let's keep thinking in that 1% spot because that's where you are. That's the reality. So trust that if you need more answers, if you need different answers, if you know that you want to add more people to your team, I describe it as you're at the table and it's your table and you have invited all of us to it. And that means you get to tell us when to leave if you don't want us at your table anymore. And that includes medical professionals all the way up to actually giving birth. You can let go of your OB and find another one, right? So there's, again, I guess it's all related to choice again, but remind yourself and don't ever forget that your body is cluing you in if there's something more that you need, something different that you need. Use that voice as best as you can to to vocalize that to whoever you feel safe with. That's powerful. And I think when you were saying like, yeah, you have choices. And I think another thing, sometimes I even get caught up in and like, don't even do this all the time. But if you don't feel comfortable, or like, you're not getting the right answers, getting a second opinion, or like you said, like, firing them, quote unquote, or being like, you know what, this is not working for me. And I think, I think we should do that more in life. Because I think sometimes we suffer through things that we're not comfortable with or we're not you know we're not happy with the choices that our provider is making or saying or are suggesting and it's like you know what I want to get a second opinion because this doesn't feel right to me and really trusting your gut on that so that's like I think that's so so important um so someone actually asked me how do people find you like do I mean I'm kind of going off topic here but um you know someone one of my listeners basically said, you know, she had infertility issues like nine years ago. And she's like, I didn't even know people like, like you existed. So she said, you know, how do people find you? Like, are you referred to, you know, do OBGYNs refer you or how can people kind of find folks like you to help? Yeah. Well, I'll say nine years ago, I was not doing this work. So (laughs) uh, I did not exist in this, in this role back then. Um, and truthfully, and I, I, I mean this genuinely, I have not yet found somebody who would, who does do this work. There are fertility coaches, there are birth coaches, there are pregnancy coaches. They kind of, and, and then of course there are fertility therapists and pregnancy therapists, postpartum therapists. They all support uh, to help you cope with what's going on. And me coming from that world of clinical psychology went, and then through the tunnel of being the patient, when I don't need coping strategies, I don't want coping strategies, and that's the kind of client I work with is, tell me how to support my body from this trauma-informed neurobiological way to reduce my risk of pregnancy complications next time. So it's very action-oriented. And I genuinely haven't found anyone who's doing that for this particular population yet. Um, so I think the the way that people are finding me now is I think through the book first, 
okay. somebody hands them the book, either they, it's at their OB's office or their MFM's office, or they a friend gives it to them. And then they'll listen to my podcast. They'll come follow me on Instagram. They'll kind of check things out a little bit. Some of them will come into my inner circle first, uh, which is a private podcast feed where we really dive deep on a lot of these topics. I get to nerd out so much on there. I love it. Um, and then and then that's usually when when the timing of trying to conceive coincides with my availability is generally then when clients come and work with me. Okay, I love that. And I think that's such good information to know like it's a very niche like you were saying like you're you're the only one so that's also super super amazing and just people people connecting with you and um definitely listen to the podcast please um name drop your podcast too just so everyone can go find it oh sure thank you it's called delivering miracles beautiful awesome so I know that's something that obviously kind of coincides with this, and I want to speak about this a little bit, is trauma and just kind of like what our bodies go through and kind of how we reconnect with our bodies after trauma. So I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit. My listeners were curious about that as well. Absolutely. So trauma, the full name of which is traumatic stress, so it's a type of stress physiology, happens when we encounter a threat of any kind and that is not qualified by what it is on paper for me it could be a dog barking outside my window and for you it could be driving over a bridge right there's no one thing or a constellation of 10 things that qualify as what is threatening to us it's all different for everybody and when we encounter that, our body shifts into its survival mechanism. So the only thing our body does is try to survive. Everything else is deprioritized, absolutely everything. Now, normally when we have that experience, it's only for a few moments, right? So let's take that dog barking example. If I'm going for a walk in the neighborhood and I hear a dog just like barking behind a fence and ah, I jump and I just have this moment, right? That's the moment my body went into survival. It went into protective mode. And my, I had to scan the environment to go, what the heck was that? I now have enough life experience to know, oh, I've heard that before. That's a dog. And then I can scan the environment, see, oh, the dog's behind the fence. It's not going to come at me. And then my body takes over and kind of resets to baseline. And then you know how that goes. If you're walking with a friend a few minutes later, you're laughing with each other. Going, oh my gosh, that was so scary. Like I actually jumped out of my skin. You talk a little bit about it and then you move on. Everything goes away. It's kind of like a bell curve. That's how the stress physiology cycle goes every single time. In traumatic stress, we have the threat, the dog barking. And sometimes we can identify what the threat is in the moment. Sometimes we can't, but we cannot complete that cycle. The coming down doesn't happen. And it is almost never a fault of your own. It is oftentimes due to so many other factors that are up completely outside of your control and they don't complete. And then what we have is that jumpiness is then stuck inside. And so we live in that moment of jumpiness for every moment going forward until we're able to release it and complete that cycle. Part of what happens in that jumpy moment is we actually lose our ability to feel our bodies. Because again, if you remember, when our survival mechanism is activated, the only thing we need to do is the only thing required to survive that moment. It does not matter if you can feel that you're hungry. It does not matter if you can feel that you need to go to the bathroom. Uh, in fact, those urges are actually dampened because you should not need to go or you should not be able to feel a full bladder. You should certainly not feel hungry because there's nothing you can do about that right now, right? That kind of a thing. And so we actually become disembodied and that is supposed to happen. And so oftentimes on the flip side, a lot of providers or practitioners will tell you, well, well let's go back into your body and really feel your body again but it's skipping like 55 steps before that. If we try to go back into our bodies too soon, too quickly, we will run the risk of re-traumatizing ourselves. And so my recommendation very often is, first, acknowledge that you've experienced trauma. And I start there because I know for a lot of people who've had quote-unquote normal pregnancies, quote-unquote normal births, 
quote unquote, you know, full term births. Everything went fine, right? All the quotes everywhere. On paper, it was okay. Nobody can understand. Or you went through something like me, but hey, he survived. He's home. He's growing. He's okay. The messages around you are telling you it's over. Your body does not know that. And so give yourself the acknowledgement to hold the reality that you are still stuck in that jumpy mode. That same thing that made you jump when that dog barked. That's how you've been living your life for days, weeks, months, years, decades, right? And after that, what we want to do is to really understand trauma physiology. You don't have to go get a degree in it or anything. There are people like me who are offering health education about traumatic stress um, that do a great job of that. Uh, There's plenty of us out there that are doing that part of it, at least the foundational piece of understanding what does it actually take to complete that cycle? Because it's not just feel your body again. That's like step, you know, way, way out there. What do we need to do first? How do you need to understand what happened to my body to get me to this place? Because we, it erodes the shame which allows us to progress on the healing path. Wow. That was so, so beautifully said too. And I think, I think when you said um, like holding the reality that, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that I'm, I'm still in the trauma state. And I think sometimes, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that sometimes when we go through traumatic things, I think that we're, trying to almost like force our body out of it but but it's like so hard to do that when you're like no but I'm still in that like you said like that jumpy state and and I think I think that's so just such a how you said that was so beautifully said because I think it's it it is like I mean I don't even know how (laughs) like how my brain is processing this that I can't like come out in words to say it but I just feel like holding the reality and acknowledging that is, is, is like the first step. And I think there's so many, you know, resources out there to help. And I think there's also so many niche people to help with, you know, like you were saying, um, you know, like fertility coaches and, and just so many folks out there to help us no matter what we're going through. And I think that that's also another important key in this. Um, So acknowledging trauma um and i i i also want to know about like so so say you know someone kind of goes through you know some infertility issues um you know let's just have an example of you know they have their baby and they're kind of going through some um uh post-traumatic stress and um you know they're kind of trying to reconnect with their body and you know maybe they're maybe they're really struggling with, with feeling connected to their body and stuff like that. What are some, like, maybe even like some self-care things that they can kind of do to kind of, you know, feel more connected to themselves? Do you have any tips for that? I do. Um, Before I jump into that, I just want to add that you don't have to qualify for a PTSD diagnosis to be living with traumatic stress. And I think that's really important to mm-hmm. highlight because a lot of people will try to get a diagnosis, understandably so, for access to care or access to treatment. And sometimes they don't qualify and, and they're told, well, no, it does. that's not what you have. And that is such a form of gaslighting because you're sitting there going, no, but I don't, I don't feel right. Something's not right. It feels like I'm living with traumatic stress. So I just wanted to put that out there first is... Even if you've tried to get a diagnosis and somebody's told you you don't qualify, that doesn't mean anything other than maybe insurance won't cover what it is that you're trying to do. You can still get access to support um, if you have the resources to be able to pay for it out of pocket or to find funding some other way. But don't let that deter you. The diagnostic process is so problematic in so many ways. So that's just my little rant about that because uh, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, well, that's not me then. Mm-hmm. Um I think for anybody who's living with that traumatic stress, I really would start, honestly, like don't skip over the step of honoring the reality that that's where you are. I I do think that we skip over that too quickly. It's like, no, 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 okay, fine. I know, I know, I got it. I have traumatic stress. Now what? But how do I fix this? And it's that question that we have to change because there's nothing to fix. Because step two has to be get the education, like learn. You don't, again, you don't have to go to college or, you know, any kind of graduate classes for this, just learn actual 
trauma physiology and how it pertains to your body because that will tell you that there's absolutely nothing to fix. Nothing broke. Your body was just stuck in a cycle at a part of the cycle it couldn't complete. It is an incomplete cycle. It is not a broken body. And I can say that until I'm blue in the face, but until you really understand why that's the case, you won't believe me. So, and when you don't believe me or believe anybody else, it's not even about me, you're going to keep chasing trying to fix it. I can't feel my body. I need to fix that so I can feel my body again. And that chasing will never stop. And I would much rather you find peace sooner. So hold that. Really give yourself the time to ride the waves of all the things that will come up when you hold on to the fact that I'm living with traumatic stress and that's my reality. It doesn't matter that the entire world seems to have moved on. I, my body has not. I am frozen in time. And two, and to hold that without shame, right? And then two is to really dive deep and commit to learning about, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that I'm frozen in that time? What was threatening about it? And you don't have to have memories. That's the other thing is part of the education you will hopefully learn that's accurate is you don't have to remember what happened to heal from it. But can you acknowledge for yourself that I was stuck there? And when I was stuck there, everything that my body's doing now was necessary back then. It's not a problem. You are not broken. So there is nothing to fix. And those two have to be in place first before you do anything else. Because everything else will try to be a tool, a tip, a trick, a hack that will not land. It won't last. It won't land or it won't last. And then you're going to spend the rest of time chasing that one elusive thing that's going to click and make it all better. And that's not how trauma works. And I realize that that may be hard to hear because we're looking for, but just tell me the one thing. Just tell me the three things and I'll go do it. And I, I would do a humongous disservice to participate in that conversation that seems to be pervasive on social media and in pop culture, that there are two or three or five things that you can do. Um, if you really want those two things, these are the two things. Hold that space for yourself, really acknowledge it, and to take the time to learn about what happened to your body that resulted in you living with traumatic stress for this time so you can really understand that you're not broken. You really are not. It's not a hallmark statement. It is actual physiological, biological reality, you are not broken. And so the solution is not to fix it, but it is to complete the cycle. Sense too. And I think the way you said it is, is spot on. So thank you for answering that question. Um, so we have some listener questions uh, and, and really kind of getting to you know, I have so many female mothers, friends, like just so many friends that actually some of my friends are pregnant right now. So they definitely had some questions about, um, you know, tips on managing high risk pregnancies and kind of the stress related to, you know, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a high risk pregnancy situation and how, you know, obviously that's stressful within its own situation and how I can you know, manage the stress as best as I can. Yeah. Um, I would say get my book, Pregnancy Brain Will Help, um, because part of that addresses point two that we just talked about of understanding what's happening in your body. Um, but in a really mm -hmm. light way, I don't go super nerdy on you in the book. It's meant to be a light read, so you can probably get it done in a night. Um, I would say also a lot of that stress that happens, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, is when you hear the term high risk, when you know that you are seeing a specialist or multiple specialists, uh, that in and of itself can be daunting because you don't know what it means. You don't know what lies ahead. And that's part of the process of being in a qualified as a high-risk pregnancy is we're just going to keep extra eyes on you or we're going to monitor you a little bit more because we want to catch it early if anything does happen. So I very strongly recommend to people to be on top of your care. You are in the driver's seat. You are at the head of the table. So you get to decide how the care goes, right? So every appointment, make sure that you walk out of there with more answers than questions. If you are leaving appointments with more questions than answers, they're not doing their job and you deserve better. So this is one of the reasons why with my clients, I offer question workflows, not just like a list of 10 questions to ask, but if they say this, then say this. If they say this, then say this. If they don't say this, then ask this. Because you want to walk out of there knowing what it is that they're thinking right now 
and what it is that they're imagining as the possible scenarios for the next step forward. You should always be on the same page about that with your medical providers and really all providers and practitioners you're working with, even if it's a dietitian, if it's a yoga practitioner, whoever it is, you should always know why they're thinking what they're thinking so that it takes the ambiguity out of it and and gives you something concrete to lean on and go, okay, I understand the logic behind this. And then gives you an opportunity to go, I don't know if that makes sense to me. Or can you explain that again? I didn't follow that, right? And I think the second thing is to recognize um, that we're not we're not actually trying to manage stress because stress is not something that's wrong. Stress is telling you that stress response is telling you something about this pregnancy feels threatening to me. And so we want to find a way to create that experience to be a safe experience for each other or for ourselves. And so just that tiny shift, I think, helps gets us away from how do I stop feeling like this to let me understand why I'm feeling like this. Let me get curious about it and see what it's what my body's trying to tell me. I think I think I love I love when you said about like, don't go in or don't leave without you know, getting more answers than you have questions. Cause I think sometimes I'm sure in that situation, people might be anxious. There's so much, there's so much discussion and it can be totally. so overwhelming and don't be afraid. And my mother always taught me this of, you know, ask the questions and don't be afraid to ask again. Or even if the answer is no, you at least ask, you got off your chest, you're, you're relieved because you now know some type of the answer of, of what you were asking. So I think, you know, don't be afraid to ask again and, and make sure it's, it's a clear, you know, as clear as you can get. And I think that's, that's something that we can use in a lot of parts of our life too. Right. So true. It's so true. Yeah. And I know that it's, it's hard because they're trying to rush you and they're rushed, whether, even if they want to spend a lot of time with you, they can't. Mm Um, and, and I think that's important to remember so that you set up the appointment in a way where you've carved out the time and you are setting the tone for the appointment so that you're able to walk out of there with more answers than questions. You, there's, you deserve nothing less than that. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so we have a question that is, um, something small that you could recommend anyone doing for an acute moment of stress in a high-risk pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Something small. Ooh, yeah. How about take your attention to your breath. Don't change it. Just notice what it's doing. Super tiny. You can do it anywhere. Nobody has to know you're doing it. It can be while you're driving. It can be while you're in the waiting room for two hours still waiting. Uh, you know, wherever you are, even lying in bed at night. Mm-hmm. Part of what you'll learn when you start learning about trauma physiology is the early parts of it is curiosity first, rebuilding curiosity and moving out of the, that fix it mentality. And and some of that just goes, you know, we try to take deep breaths. I still do it. I will be very honest. I still, when I'm really in the thick of it, I will force the deep breath and it does nothing because it's mm-hmm. not supposed to. But if I stop and, and really notice what my breath is doing, where is it coming from? Out of my nose, out of my mouth? Is it both? Is it, you know, really shallow? Is it deep? Is it erratic? And just give myself the time to be curious about it. I learn much better what is it that my body actually needs right now because it's not a forced deep breath. It's something else. And then the breath regulates. It's actually really cool how it happens. Oh, I love that too. And I also, I mean, part of that I think is manifest or not manifesting meditation. Um, and I do, I do love, love, love meditation. I think it's something mm. that is a beautiful tool. And I think, I think a lot of people kind of overlook it. They just think it's like the frog with the hands out, but it's, I think it's so much more than that. And, and really, I mean, the first part of it is really focusing on your breath. So I, I love that tip. Um, this question uh, is from a listener. Tips for people with tense pelvic floor muscles. Ooh, I think we'd need a whole other podcast episode for that. 
I mean, it's, I think it's, I think it's a much bigger question than that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I I think inside that question, I would have, if you were a client of mine and you asked me this, my response Mm -hmm. back to you would be 15 questions. Um, You know, it, and again, it's in line with being curious. Taking this trauma-informed approach means being curious first before we try to fix it. I'm not going to tell you to relax your pelvic floor muscles. I don't know that that's what's happening, right? Is it tied to your pelvic floor? Is it tied to your jaw? Does, does there a pattern? Do you notice that it's tighter some points of the day than other points of the day? Is it certain points of the week? Is it a certain kind of tightness? Where is that tightness? So I, I think this might be a really dissatisfying answer, but I would say get really, really specific and, and maybe take a week or so to notice patterns first. And mm-hmm. then I would take that information to either a pelvic floor therapist or to a trauma-informed like somatic practitioner like I am and, and have, uh, it'll be a very different discussion when you have more details. Okay, thank you. Um, the next one is, how to manage diabetes while pregnant? I, I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, guess, um, I don't even know how to say it. G-E-S-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Diabetes. Gestational diabetes? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, There's a lot of different ways. I highly recommend uh, my friend Lily Nichols' book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. Um, It is, it's really, um, as as light of a read as pregnancy brain is, it is the opposite of that. And Mm -hmm. so I just want to, just want to let people know you don't have to follow it to a T, but she has some excellent advice in there of how to manage with diet from a whole foods perspective. Uh, so that you're still eating real food and and you can reduce your risk of needing insulin. She's also pro-insulin. If you need it, you need it. It's better to have a healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, healthy you, than it is to avoid medication if we know that that's going to help. So it's a very balanced view. I, it's very well um, researched as well. Uh, we also know that exercise is really important. So whatever type of exercise you are allowed to do, so I would check with your medical provider about that. What is safe for you to do? What are the parameters of when it becomes unsafe? So for example, can I go for a brisk walk, but can I go for a light jog? There might be a difference. For some people, there might not be, but for some people, there might be. Um, For somebody like me, who was on bed rest for my entire pregnancy or modified activity restrictions, they would have said, do not go walking around the block. So then what can I do at home, right? What is safe to do at home? Can it be upper body only if I'm keeping my lower body out of it? Something like that. Uh, We know that uh, good quality sleep, full night's sleep, sound, deep, deep, deep sleep is extremely important. We know the state of your nervous system and the health of your nervous system, which ties back to traumatic stress and chronic stress, also impacts all of that. So working on, on all of these pieces uh, little by little can help you with managing it and having a healthy pregnancy. One more listener question we have. Uh, this woman is a nurse. She said, obviously, very stressful job. You know, uh, people's lives are in her hands. Um, and she is pregnant right now. Again, kind of any tips to kind of managing managing that, maintaining stress, um, kind of like in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for what you do. Nurses hold a very special, special place in my heart. I don't think we would have survived anything we went through without the nurses in our lives. So thank you for that. And and it's very real. The job is very stressful and there's ample evidence that there's an increased risk of preterm birth for people who have jobs like that. So mm-hmm. it is, it's great that you're asking this question because there are things that you can do. Um, the goal that you want is to, if you remember that bell curve that we talked about with the, the dog, you want to restore baseline as often as possible. You'll hear me and see me say this in pregnancy brain a lot, but the stress itself is not the problem. It is that we get stuck there or we can't come all the way down, that is what r- really sets the stage for increased risk of health complications before, during, and after pregnancy. So how often can you complete that cycle and bring yourself back down? There's a lot of different ways to do that depending on what's happening in your body and how that that survival cycle is manifesting in your body. So 
it can be anything through your senses. It can be things through the way you move, the way you hold your body. There's a lot of different ways to do that, which is, again, where the curiosity piece comes in is how is it showing up in my body? And then what is that telling me about what it needs to be able to bring that down? Um, but I, I share that to give and an offer hope that, yes, the data is there that you are you are at increased risk of preterm birth and also I am living proof and why I do this work is that statistics are just numbers and we can alter them in our favor. So the way to do that really is to help yourself complete that cycle and come back to baseline as often as you possibly can and stay at that baseline for as often for as long as you possibly can until the next thing brings you back up and then you you do it again. Um, any other last thoughts before we kind of get into our game? I just, I hope that listeners are taking away a sense of hope. Um, I really hope that that's what they're hearing is that there's a lot of things that are stacked against us in so many ways and Mm -hmm. it can feel really bleak and really hard and really overwhelming. Um, and some days you kind of just wonder what it, what is the point of it all? And I really hope that if there's one thing you take away from this is that you have the ability to carve a path where you want there to be a path in, and it may not, it may not be perfect and it may not be ideal. And there may be so many sacrifices you're making for that dream that you have, but I hope you will always remember that there is hope. And that hope really resides in you. You are really, really that powerful. Um, and again, it's not meant to be a hallmarky statement. It's it's in your biology. You really are that powerful. And I, I hope that that's the hope people are taking away from this. I love that. I love that so much. Um, all right. Are you ready for our game? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's super fun. It's just called This or That, so... Whichever one resonates with you more. Um, And this is just so our listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit more. So the first one is, are you an early riser or night owl? Early riser. Early riser. Pizza or pasta? Ooh, pasta, hands down. Love it. Uh, If you could only online shop or in-person shop for the rest of your life, which one? Oh, that's so hard. Um, I would say if that meant COVID was over, then I would say in person. (laughs) Totally fair. (laughs) Uh, The next one is, would you rather have the ability to control weather or the ability to talk to animals? Talk to animals. Love. Love it. Uh, Would you rather explore space or explore the sea? Oh, gosh, C, for sure. I'm terrified of space. (laughs) I totally get that, too. Me, too. (laughs) It's kind of terrifying. It's like, what's going on out there? Yeah. (laughs) Would you rather have eyes that film everything or ears that record everything? Both sound really hard. (laughs) Uh, Maybe eyes. Eyes. Would you rather live by the ocean or live in a cabin in the woods? Ocean. Ocean. This one might be tricky. Give up all technology or give up TV, movies, and books. You know, because you put books in there, I'll say give up technology. (laughs) I'm with you. I I, I love, (laughs) love books so much. Yes. Um, would you rather create a new holiday or create a new day of the week? New holiday. New holiday. Love it. Do you prefer traveling somewhere familiar or traveling somewhere new? I would say somewhere new. Somewhere new. Uh, personal chef or personal housekeeper? <gasps> Can't have both. <laughs> <laughs> um, chef. Chef. Yeah. And the last one is sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Sunrise. Love that. Um, let everyone know where they can connect and find you and your book and all of your things. Sure. So everything is housed on my website, barijatdeshpande.com. It's my full name, .com. 
I also hang out on Instagram at healthy.highriskpregnancy and all the links are in my bio there as well. Amazing. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and being vulnerable and sharing your story and all of your incredible advice and insights. So thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learned something and took something away from it. Definitely connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And you can also find my free Facebook group, My Naked Mindsetters. And also my website has really cute merch that you can check out. And I appreciate you listening and tuning in today. Tune in next week for another episode of My Naked Mindset. Bye!